cliffcentral.com. It's a singular joy and an honor and a privilege for me to be interviewing Dr. Edith Eager from the Cliff Central Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. Dr. Eager, a hearty, hearty welcome and shalom from Johannesburg. Shalom. I've been there. I've been there, done that. Yes. I've been to Lakhdalhozi. I really welcome you and I want to really hopefully have a very meaningful conversation. Wonderful. I just want to introduce the listeners, you to the listeners. The year 29 September 1927 is the year that our planet was graced by one of the most remarkable human beings, Dr. Edith Eager, whom I have the honor of interviewing on the Gareth Cliff Show. A hearty welcome again. Now, to kick off our interview, Dr. Eager, I often think of Darwin, and uh, Darwin taught us to think of survival of the fittest. But my question is as follows. Thinking of the advice of your mother, would I be correct in rephrasing this phrase, survival of the fittest, as follows. At Auschwitz, the key to your survival was what you put into your mind. Oh, how beautiful. Because what you think, you create. It's very important to think about your thinking and pay attention what you're paying attention to, because any behavior you pay attention to, you reinforce the very behavior that you may want to extinguish. And that's why I think everything begins with our way to think about, even in Auschwitz, as an opportunity, not for recovery, but discovery, the inner strength, and the way you respond rather than react. Of course, you've often said that you were never a victim, and I think that's so important in your books is that you've said you were victimized, but you were never a victim. I think it's so important to distinguish between the two. I'd love you to elaborate for our listeners. Well, there is a difference between a being and a doing, and the behavior is what I can change. But the being is that we were put here into this world. I kind of like to look at it that God sent a a seed, and uh, it's up to us what we use for water so we can bloom, so we can empower each other with our differences. And, and, uh, And life is difficult. And suffering makes you stronger. Yes. It's just how you look at things. Yes. To minimize it, trivialize it, God forbid, or even deny it. But I know that I was told that I'm never going to get out of here alive. And I kept saying to myself, it's temporary. It's temporary and I can survive it. So I didn't have to allow the enemy to ever murder my spirit. That's what I bring you. That's, that, that, that is absolutely uh, incredible. Now, you made a very interesting um, analogy with watering and the seed, and you said that God gives us the seed. Now, many Holocaust survivors, you know, ask the question, 
uh, where was God at Auschwitz? And yet I've listened to your interviews very carefully and you speak of God being with you in Auschwitz. I'd love you to elaborate for our listeners, please. Yes, my God was there with me to guide me from hatred to pity. And I decided that they were the prisoners, not me. Wow. So you had, uh, it's, it's how you think about it. I may give you a different perspective than people who are still holding on to the anger because I want to have a good life. I want to have passion. I want to have joy. I want to have love. So I, <laughs> I, yes. I, care about the chronological numbers. I'm 93. I live in a present. I can only touch you now. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now, I'm very interested. I mean, you danced for Dr. Mengele and so forth. And how did you muster up the courage to forgive a man who had murdered so many millions of our people? How did you actually do it? Because I... I just look at you every time I see you on YouTube or interviewed by Oprah and I just see this glowing lady, one of the, one of humanity's choicest jewels. And how did you, what's the secret to mustering up that degree of courage, Dr. Eager? Well, I don't have any godly powers to really forgive, but I want to be free. So for me, that I want to have a full life. And if I still carry the anger and the hate, I am still a prisoner. So I don't want to give another inch so I can live today to have three children, five grandchildren, and seven great-grandsons. Wow. That's my revenge. Well, 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 and of course, one of your daughters is married to a Nobel laureate, isn't that so? In economics, exactly, and uh, and he and my daughter was in Johannesburg, and my daughter spoke at one of the schools about how to grow up with an immigrant. Oh, wonderful. Now, Dr. Eager, one of the uh, sentences which has really grappled my imagination is you said, I didn't need a Nazi, I had one in me. I'd love you to tease that thought out a little bit for our listeners, please. Well, you see, I didn't forgive myself that I survived. And even when I graduated with honors, I didn't show up for my graduation. I didn't wear the cap and gown. Because I said to myself, I don't deserve that because I'm alive and they are not. Wow. And I was not able to even celebrate the hard work that I put into the university. And when I was told that I'm graduating with honors, I had to put my cap and gun and sit at a certain place. And I never showed up for my graduation. So that's why I'm saying that perhaps the biggest concentration camp is in our own mind and you find a key in your pocket. So it took me a long, long time and I'm still not done. I have yet to arrive. I went back to Auschwitz. I had to go back to that lion's den 
and look at the lion in her face and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator. And that's the work I do today about grieving, feeling, and healing. It's that's a, my that's my calling today. And do you, I think, uh, do you ever wake up at night having nightmares about your experiences at Auschwitz, or have you been able to? I do, I do, I do almost daily. I was saying the other day that I went to have steak at one of the wonderful places here, and I was walking on cobblestones, and immediately. Immediately, I was back, and we were, you know, walking, and children were spitting at us and calling us, you know, cryos killers. And, and I felt so sorry for those children that they were taught to hate me. Mm, mm. But later on, I ended up working with German families at the military hospital, and a little girl came to me and jumped in my lap and called me Oma. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, there is there is hope in hopelessness and and uh, Auschwitz was uh, an opportunity for us to discover that life is from inside out and not wait for anyone to make you happy, but to be able to love yourself, mm. get up in the morning, and look at maybe life as just one day. The morning sunshine will not come back. And in Jewish way, there is a wonderful uh, uh, museum, as you know, that was built by a survivor yes. in Sydney. Yes. And, uh, and you know, it's good to say we Jews do that, that you give while your hand is warm. Wonderful. And Jew- Jewish people give. And I was really in Vienna at the Rothschild Hospital that was supported by the American Jewish population. Yes. So I think it's very important to look at our ancestors, that they didn't have it as good as we do, and they never gave up. Yes. yes. I never, ever even told of giving up in Auschwitz. That is absolutely incredible. I mean... Even when you danced for Dr. Mengele, you never once thought of anything but the opera house, I think, in Budapest. That's incredible. Yes. And I am dancing the Romeo and Juliet. Yes. So when I was in Sydney at the opera house, my sister put me in the Queen's Lodge to watch the Romeo and Juliet. Wonderful. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my sister was a violinist, and she was with the Sydney Symphony. So I know the Sydney Opera House inside out. Yes. And uh, so I am very happy to also let you know that I spoke at the YPO in South Africa. Yes. And uh, I was in Cape Town and Johannesburg. Yes. Yes. I carry beautiful memories. Yes. You mentioned Christ killers, and I'm very interested in that because I'm a very different kind of Jew. I'm a Jew who decided to embrace the unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus uh, in 1976. Yeah. So, um, uh, 
one might call me a messianic Jew or whatever name you wish. But I've often been called a traitor. In fact, I've been likened to Mengele in the sense of I'm a professor of astronomy. And when I give lectures on astronomy, people say if they send their children to hear me, it's the same as Mengele giving a lecture on medicine. What is your personal view, Dr. Eager? I know of no greater person with a greater sense of compassion than yourself. Do you believe that a Jew who follows Jesus is a traitor to their race? Of course not. Jesus was a Jewish boy, and he became a role model of unconditional love. He said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Yes. You see, self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. Yes. I think, I think he also told us, uh, especially when the woman committed adultery, he didn't punish her. He told her to go home and don't do that anymore. Yes. You know, so, so I think, I think, uh, Jesus was a Jew, born a Jew, died as a Jew. I think it's, uh, it's really important for us to embrace each other and form a human family that we can survive finally. On this planet. Why do you think there's so much hate? I mean, I'll never forget when I first made the decision to follow Jesus, the hatred that my parents had to experience, and I was regarded as an absolute traitor to my race. Why do people thrive on so much hate and not practice unconditional love? Well, I think it's important to know that we're not born with hate. We learn it. We're born with joy. We're born with love. We're born with passion. And it's impossible to have that while the hate takes over. I never told anyone in Auschwitz that I prayed for the guards because I would have been a traitor. Yes. So I, I kept it a secret. I never told anyone, not even my sister who was with me, because she... She said there is only one German and a dead German. And uh, even when I asked her to come back with me to Auschwitz, she told me I'm an idiot and I'm a masochist. It's just really not what happens is the way we view it. Yes. Yes. I, I think it's very important for you when people talk like that, take a deep breath and say, you know, the longer they talk, the more relaxed I become. You take the negative stimuli, never take it personally, because it's not about you. All you have to do possibly is put an eye in front of it, and people are giving you their opinion. So you thank them for it. Yes. You never thank deny them. their truth. Deny their truth. If someone tells me the Holocaust didn't exist, yes. uh, and uh, Akhmadijida did that. Plato said, and I'm sure Akhmadijida did not read Plato. I did because my mother told me, I'm glad that you have brains because you have no looks. So I became a little scholar and read Plato who said, you have to think of a lie. It has to be a big one. And then you repeat it, repeat it until people believe it. So our biggest enemy is ignorance. 
You wow. have to question authority and never blindly adhere to authority. Yes. That's what Hitler did. Called the Jewish people a pariah. That's what, you know, Marx, uh, Max Weber, Max Weber, Max Weber mm. the capitalism and a Protestant yes. ethic, mm. referred to the Jews as a pariah, and Hitler called the Jewish people a cancer that has to be cut out. Yes. Well, thank God. That little Jew, Einstein, came to America. Yes. And I always yes. find people that with that little Jew, without it, you wouldn't be where you are today. Absolutely, absolutely. So, truth is subjective. It's my truth and your truth. I'm right, but I'm only right for me. I cannot be right for you. Yes, no, that's And you are right for but that's really transcending the limits of normal human limitations and living in a completely different world space of freedom, love, and joy. I remember how you always used to do the high kick. I don't know if you still do it, but uh, you love life. I'm happy to do it for you. And yes, I'm still a dancer. I work with couples and opposites attract, and then they drive each other nutty because they want to change each other. And uh, and I will work as long as I live. I will never, ever retire. And I don't care about the chronological numbers at all. Yes. I feel younger now. I tell you why. Yes. Because I feel younger because I am unwilling to give up my need for your approval of me. Wow, that's so I powerful. I give up any perfectionism. And I give up my need to please you. Yes. So uh, I ask people to give birth to the you that was meant to be not the new you, but the real you. Yes. Okay. Because most of us give up our real self to fit the family dynamics. And you've never done that. Never. You've lived yourself. You've lived your own dream. You've been yourself, Edith Eager, every second. No, they could put me in a gas chamber any minute. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether gas or water is going to come. And that's a very difficult place to be when you don't know what's going to happen next. Right. And that's where we are today. I'd love you. Uh, several of our listeners might be 65 years and older. And multitudes of people go into retirement villages, as you know, possibly at 65 or at 70. So many of them feel a victim of their circumstances. And many of them, Dr. Eager, believe that, uh, you know, life is coming to an end fast. And yet you exemplify the exact opposite. Can you give us words of hope for those hearing us who are sitting there thinking their grave is, might be met tomorrow? Yes, uh, it's all you have to do is change your thinking and you will change your life. You're for something rather than against something. If you're afraid to die, you never live. Wow. Every moment is. I celebrate every moment I have, even though I have uh, scoliosis. I am not breathing as well as I could. I wear a machine. It's called shake and bake, I call it. <laughs> and, uh, and yet I get up in the morning and recognizing that that morning sunshine will not come back. 
I look at life as one day, and I know in the evening I will be happy in my deathbed and not asking what the world has given me, but in what way I was able to hopefully, in my very limited capacity, give people a choice, because the more choices you have, the less you feel like a victim. That's incredible. I do speak, I do speak everywhere. I speak at, uh, at churches, and I talk about Jesus in three ways. Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself, self-love is self-care. The secondly, I think Jesus was able to reach people where they are. Yes, yes, absolutely. And lead them the way they could be, and that's the way I am. I'm not going to talk to a eight-year-old about cognitive dissonance, right. obviously. Right. I, I speak the language, and I keep their feelings company. Yes. I speak like, sounds like you're angry about it, sounds like you're sad about it, the language of the heart, rather than trying to understand. Understand is very academic. You have yes. to go to the classroom for that. Yes. So I... I uh, but thirdly, I think the most important with my Jewish heart is that when he said, turn the other cheek. See, if I turn the other cheek, I look at the same thing from a different perspective. Wow, wow, wow. I give you a different perspective. It's the same situation yes. that you're going to look at after I, you listen to me. And then you say to yourself, is this the best I can do? Is this empowering me or depleting me? Yes, yes, yes. It's very important that you love you. Absolutely. And and have you always been able to love yourself or did it really come? I know you spent a lot of time with Viktor Frankl. Did it take you time, Dr. Eager, to really start truly loving yourself and not condemning yourself because so many survivors have the survivor guilt and so forth. Did it take you time or did it come quite naturally? No, honey, I, uh, I didn't forgive myself that I survived. And uh, even if I went back to Auschwitz, uh, even today I have yet to arrive. You know, it's kind of like climbing the mountain and I sleep in a climb. I never stop climbing. And this is what our ancestors' blood that we carry. Yes. That they didn't have it so good, but they never gave up. Yes. And we carry that. We carry that. We carry that. And I want my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to know that they're carrying the blood of survivors and not to ever mm. give up. Mm. That is so powerful. Now, you spoke about the importance of turning the other cheek and having a different perspective. And I don't know whether you adore the uh, uh, art of Marc Chagall, but I really do. And I've looked at his paintings like I, the, the White Crucifixion. Do you adore his art? I have it right here in front of me. Oh, really? Chagall. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the point um, is, hit Chagall, tell me what your thoughts are. I, I find him a most magical painter in terms of, you know, the white crucifix was done in 1938. 
two weeks after Kristallnacht, and yet he depicts a Jewish Jesus in a talus. I mean, it's just awesome. It's such a new, fresh, different perspective. I'd love your thoughts. Oh, honey, I... Uh I am an artist. I'm not a scientist myself. I don't try to understand things. I I actually uh, am a very sophisticated clinician. I'm Dr. Iditiva Eager. Uh, but the way I diagnose people is the effect they have on me. Wow. And I feel it. I feel it in my kishka in the first five minutes. Wow. I know who I'm and then I talk to that kishka rather than trying to pathologize. I like to demythologize. There is no perfect family. Life is very difficult. And the more you suffer, the stronger survivor you become. It's just not what happens is what you do with it. And so you are a great fan of Chagall because I'm very interested in that so many of his Paintings depicted Jewish Jesus. Um, he, I mean, in most of them, it's quite remarkable that he tried to restore the dignity of Jesus within the Jewish mindset. Exactly. So brilliant. That's a Jewish boy that uh, I adore. Uh, me even today. Well, I think it's time for us to really empower each other. And so you can be you and I can be me, but together we're going to be much stronger in Auschwitz cooperation, not competition or domination was the name of the game. All we had was each other then Mm. and all we have is each other now. And, of course, you experienced that so much, the concept of uh, cooperation in the incredible death march I've read about. Um, please tell us yeah. about it because, I mean, that, w- that was cooperation of the greatest degree, wasn't it? Yes, the worst brings out the best in us because when I was dancing for Dr. Mengele, he gave me a piece of bread and I could have gobbled it up myself. But I carried it up. I was on the third on the top. So I climbed up and I shared my bread with the girls. And when I was in a death march from Mauthausen to Gunskirchen, it's, it's called the death march. Because if you stop, you were shot right away. And I was slowing down. I'm slowing down. I'm talking to God. I don't think I can do it anymore. Hmm. And the girls that I shared that bread with came and formed a chair with their arms and they carried me so I wouldn't die. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. You know, we always talk about all the horrors, but, but, but the discovery of that Hmm. marvel strength mm. that uh, that somehow I have to go beyond the me, me, me and commit myself mm. to someone mm. other than mm. myself. Mm. That is so beautiful because, I mean, when you were discovered alive, I think you weighed 70 pounds, which is about 30 kilograms, and you had a broken back. Isn't that correct? That's very correct. And, and yet, even though I couldn't walk, I was observing people going through the gate, and in no time at all, they would come back. I did work with Eric Fromm myself, 
And uh, he talks about escape from freedom. You see, freedom comes with responsibility. We were free, but we didn't know what to do with that. So people would come back. So if you read about positive psychology, um, um, they talk about learned helplessness. We did that. People would come back and sit down because we didn't know what, what, what do I do with that freedom? Yes. Yes. I, I remember just sitting there observing other people and we're free. And yet, mm. what now? What now? Mm. Mm. It's amazing yeah. just to, Not, yep. In other words, how to actually embrace the freedom with love and fly and soar as an eagle. That's right. Yeah, not like a duck sitting and making poopoos. Yeah. You know, I've often watched in your interviews how you hold people with their hands, and I just think it's incredible that those hands held Magda and others in Auschwitz and yet have overcome and yet have never given up and yet have looked up and yet have said, no, the best is yet to come. You got it. You got it. There is always light in the end of the tunnel. And that's where we are. We're going through. We're going through the shadow of. Don't yes. get addicted to anger. Yes. And just remember, there are a lot of other emotions under the anger. Once you are angry, you're bankrupt wow. because you gave your power away wow. to someone. Wow. To make me angry. Nobody makes me angry yes. unless I yes. really allow you. Yes. So it's very important. And to really take back your power, yes, and not react because when you react, you don't think. Right, you don't. Absolutely not. I also have a question in terms of dehumanization. Um, today, bullying is a you know highly spoken about concept. People are being bullied at school. People are being bullied at work. People are being bullied in relationships. And there's shame and there's dehumanization. And people are stuck in these relationships, especially during this time of COVID as well. What words of hope do you have for the bullied one, Dr. Eager? Well, a bully is a coward. And I teach children to look, get the bully eye to eye and say, I don't want to hurt you. Why do you want to hurt me? Well, Stop running. Don't run from the bully. Face the bully and just say, what's the matter with you? Is this the best you can do? Mm. I teach children how not to allow the bully to get to you. Mm. And of course, Of course, the bully is uh, scared themselves. I know I worked with a boy who was part of the white supremacy group and told me he's going to kill all the Jews and all the black people using the N-word and all the Mexicans and all the Mm -hmm. chinkos, you know, Mm -hmm. And if I would have reacted, I would have taken that boy, I would have dragged him to the corner, I would have sat on him and telling him, you know, who do you think you're talking Mm, to? mm. I saw my mother going to the gas chamber, but I turned to my loving God who was with me in Auschwitz Mm, because mm. people don't come to me, they're sent to me. Wonderful, wonderful. By the way, I love my 
have you with you. I love talking to you for hours and hours. Oh, wow. And because, you know, a philosopher asks a question Wednesday, and Saturday we say, oh, it's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just... It's just, it's just such a joy um, talking to you. And my last question, really, because I know that you are a very busy practicing psychologist at the age of 93. But um, on a lighter note, I'd like to just think of this. Tattoos, tattoos have become so fashionable these days in South Africa and around the world amongst people of all ages. But there are many of us, the older Jewish folk perhaps, who think of the SS authorities who marked prisoners with their camp serial numbers across the chest with indelible ink. As a Holocaust survivor, Dr. Eager, may I respectfully ask for your thoughts on tattoos in the year 2020? I think we Jews have to be very grateful that no matter what happened to our ancestors, they made it that the best power is brain power. Mm-hmm. I usually ask young people to go watch the Karate Kid and recognize. But when it comes to tattoos, I was going to get one. And then I asked, why don't you give me the tattoo? And I was told, they don't want to waste the ink on you because you're going to the gas chamber. Mm, you mm, see, that, mm. that's how many Hungarian Jews who were liberated when I was in Gunskirchen didn't get the tattoos. Some did, some didn't. I was in, in 2020. Uh, people are fashionable, you know, and they think it's just uh, makes you different. Yes. You don't want to be average. God forbid that, you know, I think just to take courage to be just average. It's okay if I don't make the A pluses all the time. Absolutely. Give up your perfect. Because if you're a perfectionist, you're going to procrastinate. Yes, absolutely. You're going to think about it tomorrow. I'll think about it tomorrow. Yes. And that's what young people do. I ask them. They want to do things just right. Mm-hmm. Just right, which means never. Mm. See, I'm not a Holocaust survivor. It's not my identity. Mm. I am a human being right. who went through experience. Right, right, right. But it's not who I am. I am no more and no less yes. than yes. a human being who's yes. fallible, who yes. makes mistakes yes. and will make mistakes yes. after. Yes. So what would you say? You I know, mean, my, my son actually came to me today and he said, Daddy, I'm so eager to get a tattoo. I mean, how do you, does it give you negative emotions, positive ones? I need to hear from the master herself, Edith Eager. What you do, you repeat what your son is telling you. You're telling me you would really like to get a tattoo. Isn't that true? So have a conversation with your son because he wants to belong. And this would be a ticket of admission yes. to a certain group of people. Yes. Are they going to go to college? Are they going to get a PhD? Are, where are they going in life other than wanting to get a tattoo? Yes. Yes. So, yes. Yes. So, in other words, the tattoo is incidental to you. You know, uh, how important is it uh, to you? Is that your first priority? So, how about if you sit down and recognize that every behavior 
as a consequence. Yes, yes, and that is true. Yes, I guess you want that too, because you want to be noticed. So is that a, is that a good way to be noticed? Or wouldn't it be better to be noticed that you may be reading Plato and you're going to the library instead of the bar? Yes, very good. You know, we very do good. people think yes. more. But it doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. I am unique. I'm one of a kind. And that's where Viktor Frankl and I really say, yes. don't call me a shrink, call me a stretch. <laughs> and I, I you want to stretch your son's uh, ways of thinking. How old is your son? 22. I have twin boys aged 22, and both of them are saying, Daddy, we want to, where can we put the tattoo on our ankles or on our arms? And I'm saying to myself, Hobrach Monas, I need to speak to Edith Eager. <laughs> you can tell them that uh, who's paying for it. They are. <laughs> they, so they are emotionally and financially independent. Yes, yes, yes. They teach chess. My one son adores paramedics. My other son is so into, delved into property studies, a real little genius there. And they both want to, I don't know if it's a sense of identity, Dr. Eager, that they're seeking. Probably it is. Um, but they seem to be one to be part of the herd or part of the new crowd. And daddy's sitting here and say, Hobrach Monas, I can't have mercy. <laughs> well, um, the thing is that it's temporary. And you may say, is that, that's the way you want to be identified? Wouldn't it be better if you pick up an MD and then you can hire PhDs and then you can sit in the boss's chair? Yes. Do you yes. want to be a or a follower. Yes, 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 very good. So don't say don't do that because your your sons are still teenagers and the bottom line of a teenager is you're not gonna make me. So you give them the, the freedom to be yep. You can you can just say I I hope you will think about the pros and the cons because every behavior will have a consequence. Very good. So in other words, you'd allow it if they want to do it, but there will be consequences with every one of our decisions. Yeah. That's the message of the choice. Yeah, because after 18, I hope they move out of the house and you treat them not the way they are, but the way they want to be, to be an adult yes. at 22. Yes. At 22 want to have a career and a good love life because a yes. man doesn't feel like a yes. man yes. unless they have a yes. good career yes. and a good love life. Yes. Um, Dr. Eager, I have one wish, and uh, my wish is that when next time at Harvard or wherever, I'd love to be able to fly yeah. to you and just shake your hands, touch your hands, touch those hands, touch those feet which danced for Dr. Mengele, touched, never looked up, went from darkness to bathing beams, radiant beams of light. That is the desire of David Block in Johannesburg, South Africa, is to touch the veritable flesh of Dr. Edith Eager, one of humankind's greatest, greatest jewels. 
uh, David became a king, you know. Yes. You're a king. <laughs> You're a knowledgeable, brilliant leader. And I couldn't be happy. One day you and I can lecture together and guide people from victimization to empowerment, from darkness to light, and look at the prison that is in your mind and the key is in your pocket. Wow, wow, wow. Dr. Eager, I look so forward to that day we could perhaps lecture together. It's been a singular honor. It's been a deepest joy. And to every listener, I urge you to go out tomorrow morning and buy Dr. Edith Eager's new book entitled The Gift. It's a gift of hope. It's a gift of life. It's a gift of joy. It's a gift of peace. It's a gift of knowledge. It's a gift of experience. It's a gift not of being a victim, but of overcoming. Oh, Dr. Eager, how we salute you. What an honor. And you make me cry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. Shalom. Shalom. Thank Shalom. You. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com